Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today, we are studying the 14th Perek of Melachim Bet, which focuses primarily on the reign of Amatzia. Amatzia was the son of Yoash, who we discussed a few prakim ago. Yoash was the baby that was saved from, from being killed uh, at the hands of Atalia, the wicked queen. Uh, he was the one who, when he grew up a bit, he, he undertook this project to raise money for the Beis HaMikdash and was ultimately assassinated by two of his officers. So after his assassination, Amatzia takes the throne. We learn that, like his father, he begins his career very much on the right path, doing that which is yashar, that which is straight and good in the eyes of Hashem. Um, but he is not reaching. He does not reach the level <coughs> of righteousness of David Hamelach, and he doesn't rid the nation of Bamos of these private altars. He's not able to completely centralize the worship of the nation within the Beis Hamikdash. It's interesting to note that the Sefer continually draws on this kind of spectrum. To whenever it's assessing how good a king is, it puts it, it, it puts the king into a category. Right? We have like the gold standard of David Hamelach. And then we have the next category, which is these people was, were, were Yashar, did, the, did that which was good, but didn't reach the level of David Amalek. That's like category two. Then we have category three, which are kings, um, many of whom are in the north, who follow the ways of Yeravam. What does it mean to follow the ways of Yeravam? Yeravam was, uh, uh, was devoted to, to Hashem, but, but worshipped Hashem through illicit mediums. So there was a temple, there was a, the temples of Dan and Beit El that had golden calves in them. I think we're meant to understand that th- those were much like the golden calf in the Midbar, uh, as some understand it at least, uh, a way of worshipping Hashem, but through, obviously, these types of images and, and statues are, are illicit, and therefore it's a, it's a, um, it's a, a divergence from the correct path, but nonetheless, at least writ large, it was a way of worshipping God. And then in the fourth category, category four, are people that follow the ways of Achav um, and Omri before him, and that's leading the nation... Uh, entirely off, uh, away from serving Hashem and, and worshiping Baal and other foreign deities. So those are kind of the four categories. Our king, Amatzia, at this moment, uh, it falls into the second category. Not as great as David HaMelech, but very good, at least now. And, and it's therefore unsurprising that as king, first, we're, we're, initially we're told he consolidates his power uh, and, uh, <coughs> and um, once he has... The, the throne firmly in his hands, he goes about killing and punishing those people that had assassinated his father. However, we're told he does not kill their families because, appealing to the Pasuk in the Torah, uh, the Sefer tells us because parents should not be punished for the sins of their children and children for the sins of their parents. This is, by the way, a, v- a very rare instance. We, we don't very often find the, the um, uh, Nevi'im, and uh, we don't often find Sefer Nevi'im um, uh, appealing to uh, halachos in the Torah, sometimes Shabbos and Karbanos, but um, we don't often find situations like this, and so it, it's it's certainly uh, an interesting instance and um, worthy of, of, of noting. It's interesting that the way in which Amatia takes this Pasuk and the way the Sefer takes this Pasuk is slightly different than we think about it. Lehalacha, lehalacha, we, that we, we understand these Pesukim to be saying that a, a father can't testify against his own son or son against his father. Um, <clears throat> but nonetheless, it's, it's, it's noteworthy, as I said. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it tells us a lot about who Amatya is, right? That he's someone who uh, is, is religiously grounded and, and is, is devout and is moral 
And as such, and here we get to what is unsurprising. What's unsurprising is that when we have a king that is righteous in this way, uh, it, it, we, we find that he is successful in battle. And that's unsurprising. Things seem to go right for him. He defeats and is able to conquer land from, from Edom. It's important just to understand kind of what's happening internationally at this point. The, uh, the aggressor and even the oppressor of Israel for the m- number of prakim that, that precede this one has been Aram. And we know that historically from archaeological evidence and just from, and it bears out in, in, the, in this sefer, uh, that at this time period, Aram was really waning in its power. And uh, the Assyrians were on the ascent and, and Aram was waning. And that creates a context in which B'nai Israel is able to really thrive and to even be on the expansive uh, end of things here, expanding the, the borders rather than contracting. So this is a good time uh, for Israel and, uh, and, uh, and for Yehuda. And here we find Yehuda expanding its borders, attacking and defeating Edom. All seems to be kind of right in the world at this moment. We have a, a pretty righteous king finding a nice measure of success. And then something unexpected and, and even kind of tragic happens. Amatia makes a terrible miscalculation. And perhaps because he's emboldened by war and his success against Edom, he then turns to the northern kingdom and essentially challenges them to war as well. King Yoash, who is reigning in the north, he basically laughs at Amatia and says, you, you don't know who you're, you're dealing with. You're way outclassed. You're way out of your league <coughs> militarily. But nonetheless, the north and the south end up once again at war with each other. And the north trounces, just completely destroys the south. The, uh, Amatia himself is captured and the walls of Yerushalayim are breached and, and the base of Mikdash is plundered. Of course, it's just terrible to, to hear B'nai Yisrael plundering their base of Mikdash, uh, but that's exactly what happens. And the north just thoroughly defeats the south. Now, if we pause here and just try to wrap our head around this moment, uh, we'll recognize very quickly that it's, it's really a strange moment in the Sefer because by Sefer Malachim's logic, we would come to expect that Amatia, who is a relatively righteous king, should succeed in his military efforts against Yoash, who is a relatively wicked king. We would expect the righteous king to defeat the wicked king. And yet that is not what happens. And, uh, and that's very strange. And, uh, and, and we have to ask ourselves, well, why, why is it that, that Amatia has failed here. And that's where Divrei Hayamim comes in. Divrei Hayamim fills in the blanks in the text here and it lets us know, it tells us that Amatia, when he led the nation against Edom, actually ended up becoming very influenced by Edom. Despite the fact that he defeated them, he nonetheless came back and kind of, he, he won the battle, but he lost the war because he came back very much um, impacted by and taken by Edomite idolatry. And as a result, he became spiritually weak and, and the southern kingdom became susceptible to this loss to the northern kingdom. That's the way in which Divrei Hayyamim fills in the gap so we can understand uh, how this parak proceeds. But for me, that is only a partial answer because we still have to ask ourselves how we're supposed to understand this parak on its own terms. right? The, the parak has to have its own kind of internal logic. The parak can't just be completely, uh, you know, beyond understanding. The, the parak can't just 
kind of defy all logic. And oh, only once you have Divrei Hayamim, which is written later, only once you have that can you understand it, right? The, the parak needs to conform to some sort of internal logic. And, and I think the, the best way to understand the parak on its own terms is to recognize that the mistake that Amatya made was perhaps the very fact that he declared war altogether. Meaning the sin that Amatya committed was the fact that he decided that he was going to, to battle against the northern kingdom altogether. Right? We, we have had a, a few bouts of fighting between the north and the south, uh, but it has been, at this point, many, many years since we've had that kind of civil war. And we've had many, many years in which there has been minimally peace, and maximally we've had times of, of beautiful cooperation and the north fighting side by side, shoulder to shoulder, with the south. And for all the faults of the kings uh, that have been at the helm of these various uh, kingdoms uh, for many, many decades and, and you know a century plus at this point, um, uh, nonetheless, that measure of unity was there, and that was a positive. And so it could very well be that Amatya, just the fact that he seemingly you know unprovoked, decided to breach that status quo, um, and. Uh, and the fact that he was willing to engage in battle here, even if maybe he had the right intentions, I'm not sure that that were left to, only to guess. But the very fact that he initiated a civil war was a reason why he would lose that very war. Uh, a thought for you to consider. The parak then continues, and we learn that uh, Yoash of the north dies, and he is succeeded by his son Yeravim. Obviously, this is Yeravim II. We learn that Amatya uh, from the south, from the southern kingdom, is, is ultimately... Uh, assassinated, and uh, and and if that's the case, just focusing on Amatia here for a second. So Amatia's life follows the exact trajectory of his father Yoash. He initially acts rightly. He is a good uh, a king initially when he is in his younger years, and then at some point he goes off the course, and then ultimately is assassinated. And the parak concludes uh, then just by briefly outlining some of the uh, uh, of the accomplishments of Yeravam of the north. Uh, the son of Yoash, uh, who continues the expansion and the prosperity of the nation, uh, but also unfortunately continues the northern kingdom on this trajectory uh, of his namesake, and that is, of course, very much in category three, right? That's the definition of category three. It's following the rays of Yeravam. So this Yeravam, like that Yeravam, uh, proves to uh, continue to lead the nation in the wrong direction, uh, continuing to, to worship Hashem, but to do so through illicit channels. That's it for today. Chazak, ve'ematz, and happy learning.